0: If you are visiting this morning, welcome to the church. This wonderful body of believers, Grace Midtown, is how we call them, how we all known. My name is Carlos Azueta, and I'm the teaching pastor of this congregation. And we are so excited that we are here starting this wonderful week, a week of a lot of memories for all, those of us who are believers in God, believers in Christ. This is the beginning of an interesting Moment that we are going to be reflecting. Sometimes it's good to compare one thing with other things. For instance, how many of you remember this? Can you raise your hand? Do you remember what this is? For those of you who are not Familiar with this it, is, it used to be called the brick because it looked like it right that was the first version of a cell phone in the 1984 so imagine how wonderful it was at that time carrying this thing over here and walking you were walking like this every time <laughs> I remember those days by the way But when we are able to compare these kind of uh, old mobile phones to the new ones that we have in our hands today, that not only are multifunctional smartphones, but also they offer web browsing, photography, GPS, music, and movie streaming, comparing one with the other one obviously helps us. To prefer the new not that this one was not important at the time but but this one is better well today in our study we will examine three sets of comparisons we will evaluate three things against their counterparts and we we're, we're going to understand these things in such a way that we will be Seeing how important it is to prefer some over the other ones. The new over the old. So we're going to be studying in the Gospel of John chapter 12 today. Today is Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of the Holy Week. It commemorates the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. But at the same time, we don't, we don't talk about this, but this is the beginning of the Passion Week. This is the beginning, even though it's a lot of celebration, many of those celebrating, they didn't know what they were celebrating. So in a few days later, or the beginning of the entry in Jerusalem, people were start experiencing so many concerns about this new person who was coming riding on that donkey so as Jesus was riding the donkey when he was coming down from the Mount of Olives toward Jerusalem he invited us to ride with him so my invitation to you is let's ride with Jesus and let's learn some lessons from his riding on this week open your Bibles in in John chapter 12 we're going to study from verses 12 to 19 And reading this passage would compel us to recognize three things for us. Jesus over religion, the reliability of the scripture over personal opinion, and the importance of following Jesus wholeheartedly as he fulfills prophecies over salvation. Therefore, the idea of this message is this, our God is worth following, no matter the cost, or the circumstances. He is worth following. Please open your Bibles, John chapter 12. Let me give you some information interestingly about this passage in particular. It's remarkable that nearly half of John's chapters are dedicated to this period known as the Passion Week. Half of this gospel. Talks about the Passion Week. We are in chapter 12 of the 21 chapters. Imagine that. So, if you compare the amount of chapters that the other Gospels from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they focus on this time one-third of their Gospels. But all of them, the four Gospels, I should say, is one Gospel in four versions according to Matthew According to John, according to Mark, and according to Luke. It's just one gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. But all of them mention the triumphal entry of Jesus in Jerusalem on this day. So obviously for them it was important to write it down. The four gospels present us with 89 chapters illuminating this part of life of Jesus. Interestingly, Four chapters covered the first 30 years in his life. And 80 chapters delved into the final three years, three and a half years of his life on his earth. So from the 29 chapters, they captured the essence of the last week, the Holy Week that we know. The Passion Week. And we're going to appreciate a deep significance of this event because it was important for the gospel writers to let us know what happened. While some of them will be writing from those who were receiving Jesus when he was approaching to Jerusalem on that wonderful day on Palm Sunday, John is writing from the perspective of those who were walking with Jesus as they approach the city of Jerusalem. Let's read it, and let me read it for you. John 12, verse 12 says, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode it on it. Fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, daughter of Zion, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of the prophecy. But after Jesus entered into glory, they remembered what was happening and realized that these things had been written about him. Many of the crowd had seen Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about him. That was the reason so many went out to meet him because they had heard about his miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, There is nothing we can do. Look, everyone. Has gone after him. The whole world is going after him. This is the word of God. This indeed is, as we read this, when I think about the little donkey, he is a lucky one, don't you think? <laughs> to have on his back the Son of God being led to the city of Jerusalem, fulfilling an old prophecy. Speaking about donkeys in preparation for today's message, I was doing a little research, a donkey research. And I discovered a few interesting things about donkeys. Did you know that donkeys can live sometime from between 30 and 40 years of age? And some of them can live out almost 60 years of age. That is impressive longevity that they have as a testament of their resilience. Do you know what is their favorite habit? What they love to do? Some of you might think eating, not necessarily. Donkeys love love to roll over in the ground. Have you seen the cats doing that in the carpet? Well, donkeys love that. Donkey's long ears had two purposes. One is a is a natural Cooling system. It's like the radiator. So they, they keep them cool. And the second one, they have those ears because they can hear from a long distance. So surprisingly, donkeys are not stubborn, as some people think. They just have a strong sense of preservation. So when they see it, so danger... They just don't obey you. Remember Balaam's donkey in the prophecy? When they, he saw the angel of the Lord and said, move it. And he said, uh-uh. <laughs> huh? You go yourself and he went to the other way. So it's not that they're stubborn. They just, they just need to make sure everything is safe. Lastly, it was in the London Times, a report, a special report that says that More people have been killed annually by donkeys than an airplane crashes. I don't have any idea why somebody did a research like this. (laughs) Who cares about finding out? I'm just telling you, this is the fact, and the fact that we are always learning some things new, right? So as we observe Palm Sunday, which commemorates the triumphal entry of Jesus in Jerusalem, in the Jewish Jewish Calendar the event coincides with the 10th day of the month of nisan not the car is the month of nisan Right, so you were never gonna forget about nisan so How fitting is for Jesus the lamb of God? Because in the four in the 10th day of nisan the 14th day of nisan was the Passover it was a time that people were bringing their lambs to be offered in sacrifice for their sins. And how appropriate it is for the Lamb of God, Jesus, to ride on a donkey into Jerusalem on this very day, presenting himself to the nation. So on the 10th day of Nisan, in our calendar, calendars will be April 6, 32 AD, Jesus embarked on a humble donkey ride. And we are going to be learning a few lessons from that ride. Three comparisons. And the first one is the, the following. Jesus is more appealing than religion. Jesus is more appealing than religion. The person of Jesus Christ is more appealing than any, any kind of religious practice that you might love to have. Because Jesus is not necessarily about religion. It's about relationship. It implies that people found Jesus more inviting, more interesting, more desirable than the organized system of beliefs. The old system. That was true back then. And it's true today as well. Jesus is more appealing than religion. The gathering crowd anticipating Jesus' arrival attest to this. Look at what we read in verse 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the city. Then a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. Who, who is this crowd? This group of people are religious Pilgrims. They were coming from all over Jerusalem, all over Palestine, coming to this specific day to celebrate the feast of the Passover. As a matter of fact, the UE celebrated three, three important dates, three important feasts: the Passover, the Pentecost, and the Tabernacle. These events show how devoted they were to the reliefs but also to their community. On this occasion, the celebration was the Passover. It's a celebration that commemorates the deliverance of their forefathers from the bondage in Egypt through the succession of ten plagues. And the last one, the angel of death, visiting all the houses and killing the oldest of the boys of the house. The Lord, through Moses, told the Israelites, that they needed to put blood on their doorposts so the angel of the Lord, the angel of death, can pass over the house without harm anybody. That is what the name comes from. Pass over. Deliveration. The, the, the deliverance that they have is called in Hebrew the Pesach. The Pesach. So by this time, the Passover has become the focal point on Jewish history. But every year they were coming to do this, to celebrate this feast. Every year they took the same routes to Jerusalem. Every year they went through the same rituals, and every year they made the same prescribed prayers. And frankly, for a whole lot of people, it was just was old, and they were just doing automatically without feeling anything. It was just a habit. So when some people found out that Jesus was in town, they, they all gravitated to him because, because he has something new that they never heard before. No more about traditions. It was about relationship. And they constantly started shouting, Hosanna! It was a praise word, but actually has a meaning. Hosanna is the Hebrew word, Hoshiana, that means deliver us now. Yes. Even though in the past was a command, they use it as a way of worship. And they imply, do please save us now. Give us our religion. Give us what our religion cannot give us. Give us something new that we can relate with. Mark 12, 37 tells us that the large crowd listening to him with great delight. It was a magnetism in Jesus that people wanted to listen to him. They wanted to be close to him. So in this chapter, Jesus is giving a parable after parable, story after story, And then has a confrontation with the religious leaders. But the common people were listening to him with great delight. Jesus was, for them, appealing, was vibrant, was fervent. General William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, used to say, I want my religion like my tea, very hot. I want my religion like my tea, hot. And many of you probably will feel the same way you ask you. What is exactly what you're looking when you're coming to a church? You don't want the same old stuff. You don't want the same rituals. You want something that is authentic, vibrant. You don't want some makeshift ceremonial stuff. You want not only to know, you want to feel, you want it to do, you want it to be. And that's exactly what Jesus was offering. And because of that, there was a clash between them and the other religious leaders who were preserving their traditions over their own beliefs. In Matthew 15, for instance, we see that some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem just to test Jesus, just to scrutinize what he was doing. And then they asked him, what do you Why do you, your disciples, are disobeying the old age traditions? Why they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing according to the traditions of men, of our elders. For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. You know, they used to have a recipient with water, and before they're going to eat, They're not doing it the way that you and I were doing it now. We know that we need to wash our hands before eating because we just need to eat with clean hands. For then it was a ceremony. They needed to start with one hand, getting the recipient like the size of an egg with water, water, and then they were pouring it in their hands in such a way that the water can walk all the way here. And they, they did the other thing the same. It was, it, was, it was a ritual. And they noticed that the disciples, they came, they saw the food, and they said, well, I'll attack it, we say in Spanish, to the attack, and got the food with no washing hands. So they were concerned. And I love Jesus' response in verse 7. <laughs> and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct command of God? That's right. And then he said this, you are hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship in a farce, for they teach man made ideas as commands from God. So there was a clash between Jesus as a person and the religion, the established religion, the people who were practicing it. And do you know, because of that, people, like tax collectors, prostitutes, murderers, they tend to gravitate to Jesus. They were inviting him home. They wanted to be with him because he was invited, because he was more appealing to them than the religious traditions. And we often find Jesus soothing, forgiving them, and embracing them, and including them. But then when we read in Matthew 23, he had words of harsh words toward the religious leaders calling them. Woe unto you, hypocrites. Woe unto you. But to those who were listening, Jesus' words were a delight. The people's recognition of Jesus' magnetic presence transcends the boundaries of religion. Why was that appeal? Why do you think Jesus was offering that to them? I'm glad you asked because I got four answers to you. One, religion emphasizes the outward. And Jesus emphasizes the inward. Yes, Jesus was always more concerned with what was going on inside a person than how a person looked like from the outside. Religion is about the outward things, what people can see. Jesus is always about the inward things, what only God can see. Number two, religion is often about what you cannot do. Jesus is about what you can do. Religion is about prohibition. Thou shalt not. It seems like Jesus' approach was, you know what? Just come as you are and watch what I can do in you and through your life. That's the kind of religion that Jesus was appealing to. I know that for some people, especially you have been Christian for a long time, you are growing up with a lot of no-nos in your lives. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this other thing, we're not supposed to do that. And you are reciting the old fundamentalist poem that says, I don't drink, I smoke, or chew, or go out with girls to do, who do. And then what do you, you do? Number three, religion puts barriers, and Jesus pulls down barriers. If you were in Jerusalem two thousand years ago, you will discover that going to the temple it was not a free access for you. If you were a Gentile, there was a court designed for you. If you were a woman, a, U, a Jewish woman, well, there was a place closer, but kind of far enough. In the temple, if you were a you, a man, a you, then there was a little closer to the entrance. And you were a religious leader, you were even closer to the holy holies. But there were walls, there were barriers. There was not an easy access to any place. Jesus came down and showed them that in His kingdom there will be no barriers, there will be no walls. He tore the walls of separation between Gentiles and Jews. He was so willing to include all people from all walks of life. And number four, religion typically says, you have to work your way to God. And Jesus says, I am the way to God. Just follow me. I have been a religious person for long enough to see the many world religions always present to you what you need to do to earn the favor of God. Christianity, real Christianity shows you what God has already done for you. That is the religion that God prefers. So Jesus is is more appealing than a religion. So they gather around him, and they were shouting, Hosanna, save us now, give us that what you are teaching, because that's what we need. But then the Pharisees were looking, look how everybody followed him. We must do something. And that was that tragic week when they were able to do something to him. As an application, I will say this to you. Embrace the personal relationship with Jesus over the mere religious practices. Choose Jesus instead of practices. Number two. I know Jesus is more appealing than religion. Number two, Scripture is more reliable than opinion. Amen. Yes. Amen. Scripture is more reliable than opinion. Jesus' humble entry in Jerusalem fulfilled the prophecy that we found in Zechariah 9.9. Jesus found a donkey and rode to fulfill the prophecy. And then the prophecy said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey, is called. Can you find out that many people have a different opinion about who Jesus is? When you talk to somebody, they get an idea. They, they told them, oh, that was a great religious man. Well, back in that time, 2,000 years ago, people had opinions about who Jesus is. Do you remember when Jesus was asking the disciples, who do people think that I am? And they were answering, oh, well, some of them say that you are John the Baptist. Other ones say that you are Elijah the prophet. And some of them say that you are maybe Jeremiah or another prophet. And who do you think I am? And that was a wonderful answer that Peter gave, remember? But the Apostle John shared not only this instance, other instances as well, about what people's opinions about Jesus. For instance... In John 9, 16, the religious leaders, when they saw him doing, performing a miracle on, on somebody, they said, this man is not from God. This is from the devil because he is performing these kind of miracles on a Sabbath. We need to protect the Sabbath. A lot of people have opinions about him. He twice quoted the scriptures in the Old Testament In Psalm 118, when he was saying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Because the Bible is reliable. The scriptures are reliable. Yes, you might have your opinion about who Jesus is, but unless your opinion is based on the scripture, I don't have to listen to you. (laughs) Because the Bible, the scriptures are more reliable than mere personal opinions. It's important that we can trust the scriptures, the guidance, a divine wisdom over personal opinion. But I have a question Why is he riding a donkey? Why a donkey? You know, and the other gospels actually is telling us that Jesus actually orchestrated that way. He was sending his disciples to a town, Bethphage, very close by, and said, Go and you're gonna find a donkey, a mom, and a donkey, a little boy, and bring it to me. If somebody tells you something, tell them the Lord needs them. Jesus spent so much time in Bethany, Bethania in Hebrew. He spent so much time in Bethphage, the people knew him. He had friends there. Obviously, when somebody He didn't have to announce when. But when somebody was coming on behalf of Jesus, they will know who he is. But the reason why he was riding a donkey is because it was the time for him to fulfill this prophecy about him. In John 12, 15 says, look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey is called So Jesus is asking for donkeys because he was presenting himself for the first time as their rightful king. In many other occasions, you see the Gospels and you see people healing all the people. And they say, shh, don't tell anybody. Don't, Don't say anything. It's not my time yet. And then he was spending the time with the disciples and was waiting. And even before coming to Jerusalem on that day, on that Palm Sunday day, they were in another village saying, you know what? Tomorrow we go to Jerusalem, but in the meantime, go and find me these donkeys. And they brought it to him. And he came. And he rode on the donkey. But why a donkey? Why not a horse? Kings were coming in horse in parades and everything, in celebration. Why a donkey? Because he was not presenting himself as a king the way that they were expecting him to present as a king. They were expecting somebody who can liberate them from from the oppression of the government. Somebody who can basically turn down the the, the empire, do something against them. Somebody who who can fight for them. Somebody who can actually make the peace that they need at that moment. But it's a very different peace that they were expecting. And Jesus said, I'm not that kind of king. I'm a king with a capital K. I'm a king. The way that God asked me to come and my kingdom is not from this world but my kingdom is in this world so he chose a different animal an animal that resembles humility an animal that resembles peace if you read the Old Testament you will read that Solomon for instance when he wanted to make a peace treaty with another government he was riding a donkey not a horse he's like raising the white flag saying hey I'm coming in peace when they see the donkey That's exactly what Jesus is saying. I'm coming, yes, as a king. I'm not denying that. But it's not the kind of king that you're expecting. I'm a king. I'm the priest of peace. I'm the king who is establishing a kingdom that is different from the one you're expecting. I'm the king who is promised to be with you until the time ends. And even after that. I'm the king who is not necessarily liberating you from the oppression of sin. The the, the problems that you have. But the oppression of sin in your life. I'm that kind of king. One day he will be coming back. He's not going to be riding a donkey. In Revelation 19, he will be coming from the heavens and you will see him in a white horse. Then he's coming as a king to wage war against the Antichrist and the enemies. But for now, on the Palm Sunday, he was riding a little donkey. Humble, gentle. This king, notice that he was gentle, but he was not modest. He was accepting the praises. Because that was the moment. That was the right moment. And let me just tell you something. When he was coming down from the Mount of Olives, and it's a little hill. And you can see, and I'm telling you, I have been different times, many times in Jerusalem. So I can picture in my mind exactly what is the Mount of Olives. That is a step down when you're going down the hill and you see the beautiful city of Jerusalem. And then when he was there, he saw the city and began crying, began weeping. And he said those wonderful words that we found. in Luke's night. Went in? Oh, Jerusalem. But as he came closer, Jerusalem, he started weeping. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace, the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramps, ramparts against you, walls that encircle you, enclose you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children will be with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize, recognize the day of your visitation. You did not recognize the day that God visited with you. That's why Jesus was crying because the Lord will be coming. What, what is this? What that means for all of us? Well, Jesus was familiar with a prophecy by Daniel in Daniel 9, 26, 27. In those two verses, he is telling us here that after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointing one will be killed. And that was the time. From the commandment to restore the built Jerusalem until the coming of the Messiah, the king, there will be 483 years after which he will be killed. These seven sevens, 49 years, and these 62 sevens, 434 years, run consecutively with no time between them. That is 483 years. Some scholars, especially one, Sir Robert Anderson, an English scholar, in the book The Coming Prince, he decided to discover when was the time that Daniel was staying here. So starting with the command uh, that Artaxerxes Longimanus say that the Jewish were free to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their city and their temple, that was March 15, 445 B.C. And that time of the coming of the Messiah will happen, 483 years later. So Anderson took this in consideration, not our calendar, the Gregorian calendar was 365 days, but the old Babylonian Jewish calendar of 360 days per year. In other words, the lunar year. So taking a year of 360 days multiplied by 483 years, that would be, you ready? 1, 173,080 days Total. So he started on March 15, 440, 445 B.C., all the way, counting that many days, and the date when Jesus would enter in Jerusalem was April 6, 32 A.D. It was exactly a day like today. The scriptures are reliable. The opinions of people are not. We must follow what the scriptures tells us. It happened that in the 10th of the Jewish calendar, on the month of Nisan, the day when Jesus and his disciples came from the Mount of Olives to fetch the donkey. And for the very first time during this triumphal entry, Jesus was was fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. Officially, he was presenting himself as the rightful Messiah King. Obviously, he was familiar with this. If you even know, if you ever pay attention what was the day of the your visit? If you read your Bible, you will know. But you didn't do that. You got another chance. Jesus says, that He's coming soon. The only difference is not giving you a perfect date. He's just telling you, I will come like a thing for the night. It can be today. It can be tomorrow. It can be even a thousand years. With that, He's telling us, just be ready because the time of your visitation will come. And he might be today. How are you gonna to respond to this? Now, Jesus' own disciples didn't understand this at first. But then, in verse 16, he's telling that the later they got it. When Jesus was put to death and, and then he resurrected and glorified, then he got it. The Holy Spirit came to them and said, Now I got it. And that gave me hope. Because sometimes I'm reading the Bible and I'm thinking, What does this mean? I'm so glad that someday, the more that I read it, these scriptures, I will understand it. So we got hope. So garden, ground yourself, ground your faith in the truth of the scripture. That's the obligation. Allow it to shape your belief and action, not the opinions of other people. Lastly, following is more important than inspection. Following is more important than inspection. John mentions four different groups here. He mentioned the disciples. His disciples didn't understand at that time but it was the time, the fulfillment of the prophecy. He didn't get it, but he will get it later. So the fact that Jesus' entry in Jerusalem was seen by many as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, their own, their, own disciples, their own disciples were not aware of that. They didn't know what was going on. Among them, some of them were thinking, yes, we're coming with him because he finally, oh, he's not coming in a horse? Oh, he's no, we're not wish war here? Oh." He's coming in a donkey? What kind of king is this? He didn't get it. Later they found out. There were also the eyewitness. Before this event, Jesus was in Bethany. He stopped by because he went to see his two good friends. And the friend who was dead, Lazarus, remember? And he performed a wonderful miracle. He asked Lazarus to resurrect from the death. To come out. And He did. So he was performing the miracle. So the people who were witnessing, the eyewitness of that miracle, they were, some of them were coming with him, but some of them were running to tell others exactly what would happen. That's the reason many of the people were coming to receive him when he was entering Jerusalem. So the eyewitness. Many in the crowd have seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. The fact that people were telling others about Lazarus' resurrection indicates the news of this event had spread out widely. This is the power of a mouth-to-mouth communication. How it's important for us to remember to tell the story to others about what Jesus has done and what He is able to do. And the third group were the ones who heard that testimony from the eyewitnesses. Look in verse 18. That was the reason why many went out to meet him. Because they had heard about this miraculous sign. The people were drawn to Jesus because of the report that he was doing wonderful things. In essence, this passage highlights the role of miraculous signs and the power of the testimony. But also in that group, there was a fourth group. The Pharisees. They were far, you see? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were Jewish people. The ones who consider themselves masters and doctors of the law. They came to see what was going on. And they saw and they hear. They were observing. From these groups, many of them, they were just inspecting. They were just observing. And nothing wrong with observe. There's nothing wrong with learn. The problem is without observation it can help you to draw some good conclusions. And the only ones from these four groups who actually were following Jesus Were his disciples, even though they didn't understand at the moment, they would continue following him. So that's a wonderful thing. In essence, this is what we need to do. We need to prioritize a committed, active following of Jesus over more observations and superficial things. How many of you I love to study? I love to read books. I love to, I have passion for, 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 for language, for history. However, it is important to remember that our studies should not be the end of themselves. We must also remember to follow the one that we're studying about. And this is the problem that we have with the church today. We teach about Jesus, we preach about Jesus, we study about Jesus, but we forget to have a relationship with Jesus. We forget to grow in a relationship with him. We study about him, but we don't have a relationship with him. And that's not the problem. That's the problem that we have in our church today. We are ignorance about who he is but we love to learn about him would it be more important to know him and to be known by him Correct. don't come to jesus when you are in heaven and say lord do you remember me i used to i used to sing in a praise team well i remember the praise team but i don't remember you lord i used to preach every sunday every time that i was together, to well i remember the sermon but i don't remember you How important it's not just to study about Jesus, but to be with Jesus, to have a relationship with him. But what about the donkey? From all the people in this story, the donkey is the one who was more compliant than anybody else. Even though it was a donkey that was never ridden before. It was never broken. So imagine a, a donkey was never broken. It would be a savage. It would be difficult. But he didn't. He knew who was the master. He knew who was his maker. And he complained. And he carried him all the way, fulfilling the prophecy. Imagine if he knew that the one sitting on his back was the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Imagine if he knew that he would be the protagonist or the co-protagonist of the story of Zechariah 99. Despite the being unbroken, he was obedient. May we learn from the example of this donkey... <laughs> To be honest and be willing to submit to the master touch, even if we mean stepping into the unknown on doing something that we've never done before, and may we always trust the God's ability to, to, to use us no matter no matter our circumstances. Yeah. So we come to a close today. I want to ask you two important questions. One, do you believe that the same God who in enge- engineering the donkey? and orchestrated the events of Jesus' triumphal entry in Jerusalem and fulfilled ancient prophecies can also be the God who can take care of you and your struggles without masterful touch? Do you believe that God is worthy of your surrender and devotion above everything else that you believe in the system of religion that you might have or any other entity? The truth is, our God is powerful enough to handle any situation. And he has the power to change you from the inside out. Today is the day of your visitation. What are you going to do about it? What kind of group are you going to be part of? The ones who follow close? Or the ones who just like to know about him because of what he can do? But Jesus is here. Will we simply observe and listen Or we actually take action and follow him the way that he expects us to do. So after observing these events of the triumphal entry and as we meditate in this week we solemnly solemnly, let's think about this. Our God is worth following no matter the cost no matter the circumstances he's worth following. So I ask you would you join me in prayer as we commit our lives. To follow him. Trusting in his goodness and his grace. And the guide in every step of the way. I want to ask you to stand on your feet. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to remember that God is faithful and he's able to handle anything Anything that you can bring to him. May we trust in his power and law. Close your eyes. Please close your eyes. I'm going to be very specific with some of you. It may happen that you think you're following Christ. Maybe you know about him. Maybe you study about him. But you haven't had the chance to trust him as your Savior, as your Lord. I would like to pray for you. I would like to pray for you so you can so you can put your trust in him. Because he is here. Oh, he will love for you to appreciate the day of your visitation because he is here in front of you. If you want to say, Jesus, I do believe. I do want to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Will you please raise your hand, whatever you are. I just want to pray for you. I would like to see where you are. Do you want to raise your hand and say, Lord, I want, to, I want to trust you. I want you to be my Lord. I want to follow you as my Savior and Lord. Will you raise your hand, wherever you are? It might be that you have been walking with the Lord for a while. It might be that you actually have been walking adrift from him. This is the moment of your visitation, the Lord is here and he's telling you, I would love to have communion again with you. I forgive you for your sins. I just wanna walk closer to you. And as we sing these wonderful songs, I will listen to the words of these songs that you're gonna be hearing. This is an invitation for you, even if you have never trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or even if you are a believer, but you want to come closer to him, you can tell the words of this song as your prayer in telling him, Jesus, you are enough. You are what I need. You are enough. If you want to come and pray in the altar, you want to pray where you are standing, just do it and listen to this song. Or say the words of this song.